beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, is there someone in your life against whom you feel angry or bitter? Is there someone close to you who has done you wrong? Is there a family member whom you avoid because of past sins the person has committed against you? Do you have a close friend who has betrayed you? How do you deal with broken relationships in your life? Sometimes we run away from relationship problems. We move away from family or friends in an effort to get away from our past. Sometimes we try to avoid certain people because having contact only brings more hurt and pain. Sometimes our hearts are filled with frustration, anger, bitterness, or even a desire for revenge. We want to get even with those who have caused us suffering and pain. We feel it would be just and fair for them to experience at least a small taste of the trouble and sorrow they have caused us. If there are broken relationships in your life, what are you doing about it? Are you in fight mode, ready to engage in battle at any moment? Or are you in flight mode, avoiding conflict at all costs, but not really dealing with the issues either? Might there be a better way to deal with conflict and brokenness in our relationships? This morning we continue to deal with the Joseph story. Joseph went from being a prisoner in jail to being second in command of all of Egypt, from a position of powerlessness to one where he was in charge of the dominant world power of the day. In our text we see Joseph's brothers coming to Egypt to buy food. These were the brothers who had hated him. They had thrown him into a pit and sold him into slavery to Midianite traders. How should Joseph treat his brothers now, close to 20 years later? Joseph had the power to punish them for their evil deeds. Should he exact revenge on them? These are really important questions. They get to the heart of what the Christian faith is all about. You see, beloved, in many ways, we are like Joseph's brothers. By our many sins, we deeply offend God. We cause him much grief and sorrow. We're guilty of breaking down our relationship with him again and again. But how does God treat us in Christ? Isn't God a compassionate and forgiving God? Hasn't he opened a way of reconciliation for us? Conversely, as Christians, how should we treat those who have wronged and hurt us? Is it okay to live in frustration, in anger, and bitterness? Do you think it's right for us to desire someone to just get lost? Are we right to harbor a desire for revenge 
to want someone to get their just desserts for the wrong he or she has done to us? Doesn't the Bible teach us to bear with one another and forgive each other? Doesn't it teach us to seek peace and pursue it? Doesn't it say that we are to love each other as Christ first loved us? The story of Joseph teaches us how it's possible for broken relationships to be restored and for us to be reconciled to one another. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. Joseph tests his brothers in order to open the way for his family to be brought into fellowship together. We'll see how Joseph tests his brothers, how the brothers show repentance, and how the way is opened for fellowship. Our text begins with the worldwide famine beginning to affect Jacob's family in Canaan. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Go down and buy grain for us in Egypt, that we may live and not die. To Jacob, this is a sensible plan. But his sons are reluctant. They didn't want to go to Egypt because that is the place where they sent Joseph as a slave. But the reality of their situation was that food was running out. Ten donkeys would be able to carry about half a ton of food, and that would make a big difference. So the ten oldest brothers went down to Egypt to buy food. Jacob did not allow Benjamin to go with them. Benjamin had become the favorite son. Jacob was not willing to send him, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold food to all the people of the land. His brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Our text notes that Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. In a way, that makes sense. Joseph's brother sold him into slavery as a 17-year-old youth. The last time they saw him, he was in chains, begging for them to set him free. Now, Joseph was a mature man. He was dressed in Egyptian clothes. He was in charge of all of Egypt. Our text tells us that Joseph remembered the dreams he had about his brothers bowing before him. Instead of boasting or telling them, I told you so, Joseph decides not to make himself known to his brothers at this point in time. Instead, he decides that he's going to test them to know what was in their hearts. To do that, Joseph spoke roughly to them, accusing them of being spies. His brothers responded by stating they had just come to buy food. They said, we're all sons of one man. We're honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Now, if Joseph's brothers had recognized who they were talking to, they would have realized that their claim to be honest men was not their best line of defense. When Joseph keeps accusing them of being spies, they begin to panic. They told him, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan, 
And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. We have no idea what happened to him. Joseph's big question at this point in time is, have my brothers really changed? But he could not come out and ask them that directly. If they realized he was ruler of all Egypt, they would say anything to save their own skins. So Joseph decides to put them in a difficult situation so it would become clear if they were sorry that they had sold him into slavery so many years earlier. He designs a test to make it clear whether they were repentant or not. He said to them, by this you shall be tested. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. And then Joseph put them all in custody for three days. That would have given them a small taste of what they'd done to Joseph so many years earlier. On the third day, Joseph does not maintain his harsh stance against his brothers. He shows them much kindness. Instead of keeping nine of them in jail while letting one of the brothers leave to go to get their youngest brother, Joseph says he's going to allow all but one to go. His stated reason for doing this is to let them go and carry grain for the famine to their families. Yet he impresses on them that they need to come back with their youngest brother. He says, so shall your words be verified and you will not die. It was only by returning with Benjamin that the brothers could prove that they were not spies. When it came time for Joseph to choose one of the brothers to remain in custody, he passed by the oldest, Reuben. Reuben had tried to save him. He was not directly complicit in the attack against Joseph. Instead, Joseph chooses the next oldest, Simeon. He took Simeon from the midst of his brothers and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph sent the men on their way. He filled their sacks with grain, replaced every man's money in his sack, and gave them provisions for the journey. Why did Joseph return his brothers' money to their sacks? In part, it's likely that he did so out of concern for them. Joseph knew that the famine was severe and that it would last for seven years. He didn't need the money, and his brothers would. Yet Joseph's kindness also escalated the test. When one of his brothers opened his sack to get, rain, to get grain to feed his donkey, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. And when they came home, they found that each man's money had been returned to him. They, who had claimed to be honest men, were left looking like they had not paid for their purchases. If they returned to Egypt, they might be accused of theft. Now in time, the food that they had brought back to, from Egypt was gone. The famine was severe in the land. Jacob instructed his sons to return to Egypt to buy more food. His sons were unwilling to go without Benjamin. Both Reuben and Judah promised to bring him back safely. And so eventually, Jacob allowed them to go. 
So they set off for Egypt with Benjamin with double the money and some of the choice fruits of the land as a gift for the Egyptian ruler. Jacob blessed them, saying, May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may you send back your other brother and Benjamin. When they appeared before Joseph, he commanded that preparations be made so his brothers could dine with him at noon. When Joseph came into the house, they bowed before him and presented him with the gift of some of the choice fruit of the land of Canaan. Joseph inquired about their welfare and asked about their father. When he saw Benjamin, he said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And when dinner was served, Joseph had his brothers arranged before him in order of age, from oldest to youngest. And they were amazed. They ate and drank and were merry with him. Then Joseph arranged a final test for his brothers. He commanded the steward to fill the men's sacks with food, to put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and to put his silver cup in the mouth of Benjamin's sack. They were sent away, and a short time later, Joseph sent his steward to overtake the men. He commanded him to ask Joseph's brothers, Why have you repaid evil with good? And to accuse them of stealing Joseph's silver cup. The brothers were deeply offended. They said, Whichever your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be your Lord's servants. The cup was found in Benjamin's sack. When they appeared before Joseph, they said, How can we clear ourselves? They admitted, God has found out the guilt of your servants. This was not a reference to them having Joseph's cup, but to selling him into slavery many years earlier. They pledged to all remain as Joseph's servants. Joseph responded by saying, Far be it for me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. This was the supreme test. Twenty years earlier, they had sold Joseph into slavery. What would his brothers do now? When by sacrificing Benjamin, they could save their own skins? Once again, the brothers had the opportunity to leave the favored son, Benjamin, in Egypt as a slave, while they could return home with their sacks bulging with silver, and the grain necessary for their survival. What would Joseph's brothers do now? Would they repeat their earlier sin again? Beloved, there's many different situations and times when we offend each other, when we sin against each other, when we hurt each other. It happens in our marriage relationships, in our families, at work, and in church life. Sometimes it is through a careless word or a thoughtless comment. At times it's because we're angry or frustrated or fearful or bitter, and we take it out on those around us. There's times when we do terrible things to one another which hurt deeply. All these things cause 
broken relationships. When there is a broken relationship, what do you do about it? Do you retaliate, repaying evil with evil? Or do you avoid trying to ignore the problem and just hoping it'll go away? Are there people in your life that you won't look in the eye? Whom you pass by deliberately looking the other way? Neither fighting nor running away from problems helps to deal with broken relationships. They will just continue to fester. Instead of getting better, they'll often get worse. In life, you will face various tests, just like Joseph's brothers did. Someone may seek to make eye contact and say, Hello. Will you just continue to ignore him or her? Someone may ask to speak with you, wanting to confront you with what you have done wrong. Are you willing to listen, to be humble, to receive their correction or admonition? Or do you just brush them off or snap back, accusing them of their own sins? God may convict you of your guilt for sins committed in the past. Are you willing to acknowledge your wrongdoing, not just to God, but also to the person you sinned against, and to ask for that person's forgiveness? Are you willing to strive for peace, for reconciliation in broken relationships? This brings us to our second point. We'll see how the brothers show repentance. When Joseph first met his brothers, he tested them by accusing them of being spies. In response to Joseph's accusations, his brothers talk among themselves. They did this in Hebrew not knowing that Joseph could understand what they were saying, for he was using an interpreter to communicate with them. They said to each other, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come on us. Finally, the brothers are ready to talk about the elephant in the room. After many years of avoiding the Joseph topic, they're now willing to talk together about the sin that they had committed against their brother. It's clear from what they say that they felt guilty for selling their brother into slavery. The brothers had experienced the consequences of their sin. Joseph's eyes his pleading, his distress haunted them. They had witnessed the deep sorrow and grief that they had caused their father. Their sin had caused a huge rift in the family. It caused tension and dysfunction in their relationship with their dad and with each other. Beloved, in any situation of brokenness, 
We need to be willing to admit our wrongdoing and our guilt. Unless there is a humble acknowledgement of sin and true repentance, there is no possibility for forgiveness or for reconciliation. In many broken relationships, the primary obstacle to fixing what has gone wrong is pride. Too often, we're simply not willing to admit we've done something wrong. At times, we're not even willing to consider that a relationship breakdown might be my fault. As pastor, I need to deal with brokenness in relationships more often than most. Whether it be in marriage or in family or church life, the things that cause relationship breakdown hurt us deeply. Our emotions get involved. Sorrow, pain, anger, frustration, jealousy, a desire for revenge. In such situations, we often can't think straight. And so it's understandable that we try to cope with brokenness by ignoring it or by blaming the other for it. But ignoring brokenness only delays the problem. It allows for further misunderstanding and hurt. The blame game doesn't work either. If you've got two people up on their high horses lobbing bombs at each other, both are going to be destroyed. If you face brokenness in a relationship in your life, you need to ask yourself, What have I done wrong? If you truly don't see that you have any part in the brokenness, ask someone close to the situation for his or her perspective. Beloved, at times we can be blind to our own sins. If you've done wrong, express sorrow for how you've caused hurt. Ask for the other person's forgiveness. True repentance is necessary for any broken relationship to be restored. If you conclude that you have not done anything wrong, but you're still faced with brokenness in a relationship, go to your brother or sister in Christ and try to be reconciled. Jesus taught that if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, You're to leave your gift before the altar and first to be reconciled to your brother. God is not interested in your worship or in your gifts if you're not willing to be reconciled with fellow members of the church. The second way Joseph tested his brothers was by instructing his steward to replace the brothers' money in their sacks. They were scared that they might now be accused of theft. They approached the steward of Joseph's house to explain how their money had been returned in their sacks, how they had brought it back to return it. He said to them, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. It is striking that Joseph's steward speaks to these Hebrew men about 
your God and the God of your father. It is amazing that he addresses them with the word shalom or peace. This word shalom is key to understanding Genesis 43. It's used four times, even though our translations don't always translate the word as peace. Joseph Stewart says to his brothers, peace to you. Joseph himself asked after their shalom and the shalom of their father. In verse 27, and the brothers assure Joseph of Jacob's shalom. In verse 28, by repeatedly using this word, the biblical author is signaling something. The reason why Joseph was putting his brothers through various tests was because he wanted to restore shalom to Jacob's family. Shalom or peace is more than an absence of fighting or war. It's a word that describes wholeness or completeness can also be translated as prosperity, welfare, or tranquility. It's a word that describes the rest and peace, the well-being we experience when all is right with life. Beloved, for there to be shalom in our relationships, there needs to be true repentance. True repentance involves more than just saying, I'm sorry. True repentance is demonstrated in actions. We see that kind of repentance from Joseph's brothers. The final test he lays before them is instructing his steward to put a silver cup in Benjamin's sack and then finding it there. When the brothers sacrificed Benjamin to save their own skins... Had they truly changed? It's in this situation that Judah steps forward. Through the Tamar situation, God had convicted Judah of his sins. He had humbled him. God transformed Judah's heart and life. That's evident to what Judah says to the Egyptian ruler. Judah's speech is one of the longest speeches in all of Genesis. In it, he uses the the word father 15 times. He explains how attached his father Jacob was to Benjamin and how if he did not return, Jacob would likely die of grief. Judah says, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? Judah was willing to serve as a slave in the place of his youngest brother. He offers his freedom, his life, for Benjamin. Here we see the brother's repentance is genuine. It's not just words. They were willing to sacrifice their own lives for the sake of their youngest brother. When such repentance is evident, it opens the way for reconciliation. This brings us to our final point, how the way is open for fellowship. We saw earlier that Joseph sought to restore shalom or peace 
to his family. But Joseph could not bring that about. God needed to work repentance in his brother's hearts. The same applies in our lives. We may desire wholeness and peace and tranquility in our relationships, but we of ourselves cannot bring this about. In fact, we often do the opposite. Where there's brokenness, we often make it worse by running away from the issues or by continuing to fight about them. Beloved, we are deeply flawed people. So often in our lives, we say the wrong things or do the wrong things. Often it's not deliberate. We're products of our upbringing and of our environment. Our basic fears, our insecurities, our pride, our jealousy, our impatience, our frustration, anger, and bitterness often cause us to respond inappropriately to the situations we face in life. We're constantly sinning against those around us. And each time we do, we undermine our relationships a bit more. And when they're broken, we often feel powerless to fix them. The only one who can bring shalom to our relationships is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. He came into this world to save us from our sins, to reconcile us in our relationships. He offered his body and shed his blood on the cross for our sins, to make peace between God and us. But not only that, part of his intent was to restore us to fellowship with each other as well. In the New Testament, there was a dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews considered the Gentiles as unclean. They would not associate with them. The Gentiles considered the Jews to be proud and aloof. They did not like their exclusive attitudes. The hostility between Jews and Gentiles stretched back for centuries. Yet Christ came to reconcile each group to Christ. Thus, he broke down that dividing wall of hostility. He made these divided groups into one church. If Christ was able to bring together such diverse groups of people, he's also able to break down walls between us and to restore our broken relationships. Beloved, where there is an acknowledgement of sin and true repentance, there is a way forward in broken relationships. If the party that's done wrong is willing to be humble and repent of his or her sins, the one who is hurt by them now has a choice to make. Am I going to hang on to my hurt and my anger? Am I desire to get even? Or am I willing to forgive 
To forgive means to no longer hold the sin against the other person. To let it go. If there is both repentance and forgiveness, broken relationships can be reconciled. And as God's sons and daughters, we can be restored as brothers and sisters in God's family. The pathway of restoring broken relationships is a difficult one. When someone has sinned against you, hurt you, broken trust with you, it's incredibly difficult to overcome that. Yet God has given us Jesus Christ, who is willing to offer up his life to restore the broken relationship between God and us. Christ commands us to love each other as God first loved us. God calls us to bear with one another and to forgive each other. He teaches us to seek peace and pursue it. We're called to confront those who have sinned against us and to leave our gift at the altar if we know that someone has something against us. Beloved, don't allow your broken relationships to fester. Through repentance and forgiveness, reconciliation is possible. God wants us to live in shalom, in the peace and wholeness of restored relationships with Him and with each other. May He, through His grace and Spirit, help us to live together in true love and unity. Amen.